We want to take a few minutes to welcome Malcolm, known as TP Blaster, here on Bandwidth Live. I want to thank you for taking your time this evening to give us a little bit of insight into what's been going on in your world and in the world of collectible finance. You have a very unique strategy towards MTG Finance. Could you explain a little bit of your approach and how you you go about providing your customers with the cards? Sure, yeah. So my business has gone through a lot of different transformations over the last five years. But more recently, I've been more focused on sort of more high-end stuff, sort of bigger foils, reserveless cards, and old school stuff. And so that's mainly just because the dollar amounts are bigger. You know, I'm still a one-man operation. I don't have any sort of logistics. So right now, I'm sort of focused on acquiring and picking up sort of unique higher-end cards and sort of moving them through a variety of different channels, Discord, TCG Player, eBay, and Facebook. Okay. So you're spending most of your time sourcing as many high-end cards as you can and then going through your typical markets. It's great. Yeah, some some pretty typical channels. I think um, I have a bigger TCG player store than a lot of people, so that definitely helps with some of the sales there. I've you know been posting on Facebook for years now, so I definitely have some sort of uh, repeat customer base built up there, but not any like super unique channels that that other people don't have ability to access. Okay, so where are you finding your cards right now? Are you just it's... waiting for the market to shift? Are you buying? What are it... you buying? How are you buying? It really depends. Uh, ultimately, sourcing is the name of the game. Sales are really easy. They just take time. So right now, I'm sourcing through a lot of really different weird weird spots. Obviously, I, I purchased a lot of inventory in Vegas. I've focused on picking up a small amount of sort of higher-end collections that are potentially less competitive. Um, and then I also work with some partners who sort of I'm able to source significant amounts of inventory for overseas or domestically. So I can't I can't talk too much about the sourcing. That is kind right. of the that's that's, that's the, the that's the secret sauce. Yep, it is. <laughs> Wolf, do you have any questions for for Malcolm? No, no, not yet. I'm giggling. Uh, I was uh, was sitting forward with a pen and paper if he he let slip on the secret sauce there. Puka trade. Everything's from Puka trade. Ah, yes. Yes. No, that was was a while ago. Man, I never enjoyed Puka trade. I I never understood it. Well, I would not be here today if it wasn't for Puka trade, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I haven't haven't used, used them in a long time. Yeah. That's all right. I don't know a whole lot of people who have. So one of the things that occurred over this last month was that we had a Magic Fest in person in Vegas. I heard that we had a pretty good crew from the Band Arbitrage Network that went out there. Can you speak to to uh, how many folks were out there, who you got to meet, you know, so, all those fun things? Sure, sure. So behind the booths, obviously, TOA Magic was there. And then there was also Tarkan was there behind Turn Zero Games. There, I know there were some people related to Darkseid. As for like vendor-wise, I mean, I was also behind uh, Recycled Games. So I think we had, I think, three or four sort of ban, ban people out there behind booths. And then there was, I mean, at least 10 or 20 people from the Discord um, out there on the floor, trade grinding, playing, doing different stuff. So there was definitely a significant presence out there during the event. Yeah. Now, we, we had a pretty significant group of people that were there. That being said, what was the event like as a whole? Sure. I mean, it was a pretty it was a pretty interesting event. You know, this is the first in-person event that we've seen since, I think, GP New Jersey, early 2020. I was also at that event. You know, honestly, it was a little bit different than your more traditional GPs. People were 
sort of getting back into things, um, there was definitely, there's a lot of stuff that's changed since then. But, you know, I, I don't really have a great feeling of what it's, you know, comparisons behind the booth. I'm more of better comparisons for, because I've been attending GPs for a few years now, but not behind the booth. So overall, it felt sort of normal. Um, you know, it didn't feel like like everything was like exactly how it was tw- back in 2020, 2019. Um, but, it, but it was a pretty traditional large event. Obviously, because it was Vegas, um, it was a little bit bigger. Uh, we definitely saw a bigger, bigger turnout and different, um, sort of different requests from from what people were looking to pick up at the event because of that. But it didn't feel like as crazy as like insane as some some previous Vegases. Um, you know, I, I heard that from a few different people throughout the weekends. Like, you know, there wasn't ten thousand people here with you know five thousand person GPs, uh, five thousand person main events firing. So. Right. It was sort of a big GP. So what uh, what did you notice about the the crowds? What were they interested in in sourcing right now? So my booth had a pretty weird setup. Um, so I was mainly focused on more high end stuff, high end foils. Like obviously, what that's what my business does well on. Um, I was partnered with some other people for the booth. We had another person focused on like super high end alpha beta, and then we had some other people who were more focused on the low end stuff. So I can mainly speak towards the higher end stuff that people were looking for. You know, we didn't see a ton of sales of power through our booth. Uh, I think we sold a few pieces, but we had a lot of people coming by to look at pretty unique stuff. Mm. So I think that was mainly because we had a lot of the really weird stuff out that weekend. Um, we sold the Tesprint Metal Worker. We sold the oh. Tesprint Survival of the Fittest. So it, it was pretty. It was a pretty eclectic, um, eclectic mix of what people were actually looking for. But that was also contributed to our booth. So I, I don't have an amazing sense of. Uh, exactly what cards people needed for the weekend you know we definitely saw some modern demand on friday and saturday for the i think friday i I don't remember which which the main event which main event went first Uh, Mm um we definitely before the main events we saw a little bit of uptick of modern demand i just didn't see a lot of that because that's not where i was sort of situated out of and located right wow so i'm just trying to wrap my head around all the things that were going on that weekend you know it, it it seems like the event was was well attended that the the events fired it seemed like people were were interested and involved what was your general feel from from the floor about how people were feeling about being there playing so people were really really excited um honestly i i saw a lot of people that i hadn't sort of seen in a long time everybody was trying to make it out to this event especially from like a backpack grinder sort of floor trader perspective overall from from a player's player standpoint um there was a good amount of people who were selling sort of larger chunks but we also i also saw a ton of people who were just there sort of to play legacy to play modern to play sealed who who were more just more player oriented rather than um rather than just there to interact with vendors and stuff so there was a there was a i think there was a pretty good mix overall on the weekend wow do you have anything to add about you know the experience in vegas for me, this was the first time behind a booth, so it was a little bit overwhelming. Uh, it's definitely a lot. I mean, I thought it was going to be hard, but I didn't think it was going to be that hard. Uh, buying behind a booth is a really, really challenging um, and very, very unique experience. Um, I think I learned a lot that weekend. I probably learned more that weekend than I would have, have learned in the last couple months. And then it was also a lot about uh, sort of figuring out how to interact with the general public in a more sort of physical nature. You know, you, you interact with a lot of people over TCG Player, but it's, it's different when there's somebody walking up to your booth asking for something, looking for offers, you know, the expectations and the the dynamics there were were really really unique and very new to me. Wow, it seems like a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, but it was also very 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 it was long long days. 
Well, what what time would you get to the uh, the tournament? We were getting there. Yeah, I mean, halls open at eight, so we were there around seven, and halls close at like ten, so we were out of there a little bit before ten, around ten ish. So, man, a lot of logistics that that I'm interested in, but I don't think that's the real reason why we're here talking with you tonight. I I think uh, one of the things that people want to hear about is what lessons did you learn, and what were some of your wins. For sure, for sure. So some of the lessons that I learned were you work with a lot of very different sort of clients at these events. You know, for example, there was a couple times where I was sitting down with either vendors that I knew or vendors that I knew of, and it was very, you know, explicitly business. They need these numbers. This is what they're looking for. If you can't do it, you can't do it. If you can do it, you make the sale. And those and those deals definitely they're very, very different than someone sitting down with you with a collection that maybe they haven't looked at in a decade and they're looking to sell a few cards from it. And it's a lot about uh, sort of gauging expectations, understanding what they're looking for, trying to inform them. You really don't want to sort of have these have people, maybe they looked up X, Y, and Z on eBay, and then you yeah. offer them 60% of eBay and they get you know frustrated with you. So I had a couple of those interactions um, that were really challenging and very humbling because I didn't I didn't 100% knew know what I was doing there. So th- those were also you know pretty interesting, uh, especially from a learning perspective. And then there was also sort of when you were sitting down with people sort of in between the two, you know, maybe they are a commander player looking to get rid of a deck and trade into something, or maybe they're sort of maybe a legacy player looking to move some of their old staples into a duel and how those different dynamics work and how you can service all of those customers well. Um, that, that was a very interesting challenge, um, big learning experience on the weekend. Yeah, I would say that that would be a very difficult thing to, to kind of navigate is you know, trying to spend as little time as possible with somebody so that you can get the next person in the seat, but at the same time, honor their, their history and, and memory with the cards. Yeah. And then I also think an important thing to for people to think about is that when you come to shows, you're interacting with a, a much, potentially a, a much less experienced seller. You know, if somebody's been buying cards on TCG Player for five years, you know, they're going to have some pretty consistent expectations on, you know, what they're going to get. But if somebody is, you know, at their first show or selling some old cards, then, you know, there's definitely a lot more... There's definitely a lot more sort of wiggle room within their expectations, and then you also have to spend a lot more time um, sort of in, informing them. And I keep harkening back to that because that was so important for that weekend. And I think that's where I lost the most money, honestly, is you know oh. there were a lot of deals that sat down that I couldn't close because I didn't know how to handle them. Hmm. Was it more a relational skill issue? I think it's both a relational skill as well as a... Um, an experience type of thing where okay. I wasn't experienced in, in how to deal with those um, those different different spots. But I mean, it's also you know I uh, I think both honestly. Okay. Not just relational, also a sort of an information perspective. Yeah. Wow. That makes it really tough for you to you know look at that last fifteen twenty minutes, maybe an hour that you spend with somebody, and then you know, have them walk away without you being able to buy any of their cards. Yeah. And that, that was, that was another big takeaway from the weekend is that seat time is really expensive. You know, you're paying thousands of dollars to be out there. You know, our booth costs 10 grand. Uh, The staffing, the staffing for that event was extremely expensive. You know, every time a customer sits with you for half an hour and sells you nothing that costs you at least hundreds of dollars in just, in just lost time. My goodness. So considering the costs, was it worth it? 
Hundred percent. The event was extremely, extremely profitable. Of the booths that were there, I think between all of the partners in my booth, we were probably one of the top four booths in the room. You know, we purchased a lot of inventory. Um, and a lot of very unique inventory that you don't necessarily or aren't necessarily able to acquire online as easily. We were able to to pretty much pick up everything that you know our booth was looking for as a whole. And we also, from a from a networking perspective, the respect that you gain from being behind a booth and sort of having having your face out in the public is also, I think, really big. You know, I knew a lot of people at that show who you know three years ago knew me as a backpack dealer grinding at opens for you know tens of dollars. And I think there's a from a networking perspective, it was just huge that you know you're behind the booth you're you are like an actual legitimate player that sounds pretty fantastic but to 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 harken back to the um you know was it worth it perspective uh our sales overall uh at least from from my stuff and my side were pretty weak didn't really have a cohesive pricing strategy that was able to sort of execute on um you know there there being a lot of cash at the show and you know how people are going to sort of trade into Mm. stuff so from a sales perspective we didn't do you know we probably bought five to ten times as much as we sold but those buys were were huge i mean that's what made the weekend worth it i was able to put you know, a very significant portion of my capital to work that weekend. And and that was the same for sort of all parties at my booth. So wow. from a buying perspective, it was extremely good. Wow. There was also some issues within the, within the event. Uh, a lot of vendors ran out of cash going into day two and day three. I know 95 ran out of cash after day one. <laughs> and I, I'd say, you know, I think there was 14 booths there. I think a little less than half of them ran out of money by the end of the weekend. And, you know, we did not run out of money because of the preparation and the different sort of setups we had in the booth. So that also was something that we were able to leverage uh, as the weekend went on. Novice question for you. What do they do when they run out of money on day one? So I think 95 offered like a 30% trade bump on top of their cash numbers and just took straight trade or they were paying out in tether. I know. I think Charlie took some tether for some cards. So, you know, I think you could get crypto or maybe other electronic forms of payment from them. They just didn't have physical cash. Gotcha. It seems like in a place like Vegas, you could find cash pretty readily. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a little bit different when you're talking 50, 100 plus thousand dollars you know that that is that takes a lot more time but and that was a you know that that's one of the challenges when you're a vendor there is preparing adequately so you have enough funds to 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 play yeah so we've got a few lessons that we've learned what were the wins so the wins on the weekend were honestly so i moved a couple of sort of semi-illiquid things um, I ended up with Booth ended up buying like a Beta Lotus. We ended up with um, from being in Vegas. We ended up with a, a lot of Alpha, like a lot, a lot of Alpha, which was something that we were looking to acquire as a whole. And you know, I was able to pick up a very wide variety of inventory. I picked up everything from pretty much workshops down to like piles of cavernous souls. So I wasn't I wasn't swinging crazy high. Like I didn't pick up any Lotuses or any power, but I picked up you know tons and tons of you know caverns. You know, your mid-tier EDH staples, $50 plus to, you know, pick a bunch of cradles and you know, all sorts of stuff in between um, and really able to fill out uh, fill out my inventory, especially going into the Black Friday sale this week. 
Yeah. Were you able to get it all listed in time for Black Friday? I was not. I was not. Yeah. I was only able to list uh, pretty much the foils that we bought at the show. You know, all of the non-foils, nothing got listed. And and actually, most of the high-end didn't even get listed either. So we, I pretty much just listed foils, which is the stuff I was looking to move the most. I mean, even though, you know, I'm looking to buy foils, I'm also looking to churn them quickly. So the timing was not amazing. It would have been nice to have an extra couple of days. You know, I wasn't able to sort of sit down and churn out a ton of cards. I think I got maybe a thousand cards listed um, before Black Friday. Yeah. Still was yeah. really good to be able to uh, to parlay that right into Black Friday. Now, was there a picture of you holding a card that you took home? Uh, I have no idea. I know I have some pictures of my group that I was with. I think that was Juno with the, uh, did, did, with I the did. Execute. Oh, okay. Did he? Did he? Did he take a picture of me with an execute? No, he he took a picture of it. I think it was like the the group of you guys in the airport. It was like a pop twenty execute. Oh yeah, yeah. We picked up some very cool Pokemon slabs this weekend as well. Picked a bunch yeah. of those legendary collection PSA tens. Those were really really sweet. That just shows you the range that we were seeing at this event. I mean, uh, we got offered flesh and blood cards. We got offered Pokemon. We got offered <laughs> silver. You know, the range was big. The range was big. Silver. Yes. <laughs> Bring silver to a magic. You know. Yes, we were we were offered silver bullion. Actually, I think it was silver coin. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. All right. Wow. Definitely magic players. Maybe that's more of a Vegas thing. Honestly, I don't know about that. I don't know. I, it's it's reminding me of. Uh, Missouri's uh, Twitter. I remember somebody trading him like bars of silver for cards. Yeah, I've uh, I heard of it. Now I've seen it too. <laughs> so basically, what I'm getting from this is you need uh, customers to trade in bullion for you to be properly recognized as, a, as an MTG vendor. That, wow. That's how you graduate from backpack yeah. to real. Little little bit hard to fly back with silver, but it's a little heavy. Uh, a little bit heavy. TSA doesn't like that when your bag's a hundred pounds. Nope. All right. So, Wolf, do you have questions that you would like to ask? Just really, I mean, uh, I'm sure you've spoken to this a little bit, but I'm just really fascinated by how you handle just the churn of people. Because I, I always feel like these in-person events, and I think you've touched on this fairly well, is just like you have to provide almost like therapy for folks, right? When they when they want to exit out. So, how do you time manage adequately? Just, you know, you talked about how you, you lost a couple, but were there some people who sat down and you just knew within like three minutes that it just wasn't going to happen, move along, or am I just um, being too harsh? No, 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 not really. Um, I, I don't think there's that many people who sit down where you're just like, you know, sometimes they'll sit down and be like, I have XYZ offer on this car, and you're like, I'm not going to beat that. You should go take that. And those are the easy ones. The ones where it's more therapy is, you know, there was a couple bigger buys over the weekend that really made everything you know, super profitable. And those buys, it's not really therapy that you're performing, but it's, you, you're, you're talking to the customer. You need to keep the customer engaged. You, you know, you don't want, you don't want some, them to just either walk off or sort of not be interested. You need to sort of engage them. And it's not even necessarily about their collection. You just need to engage them with the game. You know, they're there mm -hmm. to think about magic, even if they're selling out. And so, you know, for, for the bigger buys for me, especially the ones that were successful, was it was a lot about talking to the customer. What do they play? What do they do? How do they get into it? You know, what's what's some stuff that they like? How can I help them? You know, one of one of the examples that I was pretty happy with after after the after the event was you know this customer sold me a very large chunk of just sort of more basic stuff and we were talking about their cube a little bit they needed a p3k imperial seal and as i was able to help them find one that weekend when there wasn't very many in the room so it's a lot about sort of sort of picking at what they need to understand and uh 
sort of talking them through the whole process, whether you're talking about the actual deal that's happening or whether you're just talking to them in general. It's interesting because it's it's almost it's really it's the inverse. It feels like uh, I'm curious, were folks did they come with like a good idea of what their cards were worth? I know it was your first time behind a booth, but I'm just kind of fascinated because I feel like it's the it's the complete inverse of like the workplace for me. You go from like online transactions only to in person. So I'm wondering if you know after the last 12 to 18 months, were folks a little bit more keyed in? I mean. You were talking too about people offering you like flesh and blood and Pokemon. You know, what, how was that kind of demand gauge, at least from your end? So, from a pricing perspective, most of the customers that were selling to me knew their stuff. Like, I didn't encounter very many people who were like, didn't know what their stuff was worth. You know, the majority of people sitting down with a booth are relatively realistic with what it's worth and what, what I'm going to offer them. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't, there was nobody sitting down and being like, oh, here's a binder of, you know, reserveless cards. Can you give me $100 for the whole thing? People were there to shop stuff around. People were there to really, to get good numbers. And, you know, my booth was very competitive on high end foils, old school, and reserveless stuff. So a lot of that stuff made it way back to us. But, you know, we de- definitely didn't capture everything in the room. You know, there was a lot of stuff that, that ended up ending up somewhere else. Mm. And how do you how do you deal with like competing on the floor? Because I know folks were showing like the uh, the buy list on the floor, and I'll be honest with you, it looked like ninety percent of the floor is just pure arbitraging to Japan. But how does it how does it work when you like you see somebody else is like maybe offering more than you on something? Like, do, is that like a game time decision, or do you just stick to your guns? Uh, for the most part, we just accepted it. You know, ultimately, you know, when we're competing with ninety five on day two, day three, we're just like, okay, they don't have cash. You know, our our <laughs> offers in cash, so that that helps a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then also just being like, okay, I mean that that card could walk. You know, I bought twenty cavernous souls this weekend for not the best number in the room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some amount of cavernous souls didn't end up with me because I wasn't paying the best number. But I'm okay with the amount that I was able to buy. Gotcha. I'm curious, too, uh, and I know I'm kind of meandering in my question here, but just like your position on the floor versus competitors, it sounds like, you know, it was such a busy event that uh, no matter what, you were kind of going to get something. But that was probably due to the popular, like the the amount of people or am I just kind of firing from the hip there being completely wrong? Um, you know, there were some amount of people who sat down with us because they didn't want to sit down in a three hour line for 95, yeah. you know, and ultimately, if you value your time, then potentially that's a good decision. But uh, there's also, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of cards in the room. And, you know, our objective in the booth was not to pay, not to just like pay the best numbers on, on like a select few cards and then try to acquire everything, acquire everything else at a, at a better rate, sort of, sort of have those, you know, what 95 has is they're sort of, they're not loss leaders, but they're sort of uh, stuff that they use to get people to come to the booth. Um, We were playing Mm -hmm. like a relatively even distribution across the board, what we thought were like very competitive and fair numbers. Um, You know, there was definitely some stuff where we were paying quite high on, but there wasn't, it wasn't really sort of hot list cards or anything, you know, it may have been some weird alpha thing or, you know, something kind of unique where we just happened to be high on because we, you know, knew what to do with it um, and had the money for it. I know as well, you're, you're sticking more to the, the higher end deal of things, but how on earth do you keep track of everything that you bought that weekend? Do you just throw it all in like a box, sort it later and, and, and count it up then? I mean, just like logistically, how does that process work in terms of getting it from the buyer, collecting it in a box, then getting it to a storefront or Facebook groups? What is that process like for you? Oh, it's what? a logistical nightmare. Um, I leverage <laughs> SYP a lot for, for, for some of the, the lower end sales. 
SYP helps a ton. You know, I definitely bought a lot of cheaper inventory this weekend, and most of it is going on SYP. Um, as for storage and and logistics, I mean, it it just sort of gets listed on TCG Player. Sort of how how most backpackers are going to end up listing it on TCG Player. It's not a ridiculous amount of cards. I mean, you know. My high-end buys fit in a 400 count, and you know my foil buys fit in an 800 count. So I mean, yeah, it's a lot of work to list all of that and and manage it, but it's not like a staggering amount of cards. You know, that whole weekend I bought maybe four or five thousand cards total, but the average dollar amount was extremely high. I think probably the average dollar like sale in our booth was significantly higher than most of the other booths just because of how we were positioned. So you had four partners. Or was there three three partners other three than partners me. and you? I assume each one of you is is kicking in cash, you know. For the, yeah, it for was that that was a pretty complicated aspect of it. Um, that's another learning experience thing. I'm not going to expand on that too much. I'm right. just going to kind of say that I would not do it the same way I did it. Oh. That doesn't mean I didn't have a didn't have a good time. It just means I learned a lot from how to how to set up a booth well. And yeah, I don't think it's uh, too much of a business secret where you when the more you can do yourself, the more profitable it becomes. That's not even necessarily the issue. It's just that, you know, booths are difficult to run. Uh, managing competing interests is challenging. And, you know, I would do it better if I was going to do it again. Gotcha. Well, that's a huge learning experience that way. You know, navigating the the partnership is, is always a difficult thing. For sure. Uh, what I'd like to do is we're coming up on the end of your time. Just wondering if anybody from the audience has questions for you, anybody listening right now. You can type them in or you can hop on. I know some some people who were there are in the chat, so I don't know if they if they, they agree or disagree with any of my statements from the week from the weekend. <laughs> Get yourself an audit. Yeah. Missouri says it seemed chill. Seemed chill. Seemed. I know. Uh, Grixis, I was sitting next to the guy who uh, had the the dig through times. Let's just say that. Wow. That's how you can identify somebody. That was you? Yeah, that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Do you regret getting a booth instead of working out of two to three, instead of working out two to three large deals? Definitely not. I definitely, the booth was a very good idea. Looking back, one of my partners would have actually done amazing that weekend if he had just showed up and done two or three side deals, you know, but he he, he definitely was happy that he got a booth as well. You know, everybody there was um, was happy with the, the overall weekend. You know, my biggest issue is that I don't necessarily have, you know, the same customer basis that, that's going to be able to make a bunch of a bunch of large deals just coming to Vegas, sort of predefined. So it was definitely advantageous for me to, to make a booth. Uh, to do a booth. And it definitely sort of helped me understand how I want to position myself looking into the future. All right. As somebody who, who's never been to an event and, and likely won't be for some time, I'm going to ask possibly a very rookie question here in terms of, uh, and staying away from hard numbers, percentage-wise and strategy-wise, what's the, obviously, you know, two to three deals definitely sounds easier logistically for sure. But I mean, percentage-wise, how much more did the booth pay out versus the effort you had to put in? I don't know exactly what you're getting at there, but like, you know, I probably closed 50-something deals that weekend or 50 or 100 different buys. And yeah, I mean, yep. Missouri Missouri is getting to the heart of it. Yep. I Yeah, you work 15-hour days for three days, so you're putting in way, way, way more time. And it's uh, it's significantly more difficult to show up and run a booth than to just show up and 
do a couple deals and leave. You know, definitely, you know, looking looking back on it, if I had a few bigger deals lined up and, you know, I was allocating as as much capital as sort of I wanted to. Like if I was allocating the same amount of capital and didn't have to run a booth, even if I had to pay a little bit more on the cards, I would have, you know, rather done that. But um mm-hmm. I didn't have that. I didn't have that opportunity. So it was much better for me to run a booth than to than to just do a couple deals and leave. So the, the, basically, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the foot traffic you grab from the booth is is kind of worth the extra cost and effort versus trying to line up a few deals with people. Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. And potentially, you know, looking forward to more events, you know, if I eventually, if you do enough booths, people will come to you directly. If you build that branding, you know, that's definitely not something that I have. I think that's something that Missouri has a lot more than me, where yeah. I, I just don't have that same ability. And give it time. <laughs> Just a couple of years. Just want to ask if there's anything else you'd like to add? Uh, not really. Um, you know, overall, you know, my biggest takeaway from the weekend is that events are hard, but can be worthwhile if you if you really put in the time and, and understand what you're doing. I think my biggest advice would be you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, you know, do them. Um, it's better to sort of wait until you can do them really well than to sort of do them poorly. You know, I, um, this is the first event I did. I did not do Tampa. I did not do any previous events that had been offered to me. And I'm somewhat glad I waited, you know, obviously from an experience perspective, that was not a great decision, but from an overall, like picking the right event and picking your spot, that was, it was really good choice. So my recommendation would be is you have to hit extremely significant scale before you can do this. And um, you have to know your angle in the room. And that, and that's sort of very, very, very important. Those, those are the big takeaways on the weekend. Wow. Some really good information, a lot of good knowledge to pick at. You know, to have people that are growing in the market is something that we absolutely love to have here at the Ban Arbitrage Network. We love to see people that are trying new and different things or maybe breaking into a market that they hadn't previously thought about. So being able to learn from your experience is a good thing. And uh, we appreciate your time and coming out and joining us. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely very nice to sort of chat about my experience. Um, if anybody has any questions or anything and want to PM me directly, be happy to answer any questions. Also, just so people know, Recycled Games is not my store. Uh, Greater Mossdog Games is my is my branding. I was not flying under my own branding for that weekend. Just so people just so people know who I'm affiliated with. Obviously, I, I know the, the owners quite well, but just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks so much, Malcolm. We appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been super great chatting with you guys. Thanks for hopping on. All right. So TP had to run off. He's going to go do his own thing. Wolf, do we want to kind of jump in and, and do the chit chat side of things now, and then we'll we'll kind of cover the some of the major major stuff that's happening in the market right now. Oh, chit chat. I mean, I, if you if you want me to just talk about magic stuff and magic sales, I could probably talk for about three hours, but. Uh... I hope you've got a little. I hope we can direct that a little bit more, <laughs> in a more structured manner. Wow! I would just like to say I am really good at herding cats. So I've uh, I've I've had the opportunity, and it's it's one of those things where you know we just get the band monkeys going, and you know it'll be great. Yeah, you know somebody that wasn't me caused a security breakdown or concern in an MPG website, and and that's been motivating for me because that should be me. I'm so proud of them. When you uh, you start digging into these websites, you realize how easy it is to grab information, and then somebody else triggers the alarm. I'm so proud. Oh, band's having an effect. Yep, I love it. <laughs> Made me jealous. Made me very jealous. <laughs> you didn't have to reveal yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that was good. Oh, I love it. But yeah, no, oh. I'm just. 
I've just been digging into to TCG's e-commerce stuff, basically seeing how much they're actually revealing. Uh, I don't even think they, they understand what they're doing. But uh, you can basically see down to, uh, because of the granularity with which they reveal the time of churn, you can actually aggregate orders across the entire TCG website. So you can see, you can track not only what each seller is selling with specialty, you can now track what buyers are buying. You can see what they're adding into their cart in multiples. So you can start doing kind of a basket analysis where you review, you know, if you buy Soul Ring, you're likely to buy Arcane Signet uh, and to see the degree to which. And with every day that passes and with every uh, element that TCG extends the historical back to, you get more and more data and more and more information that you can then Look into to optimizing inventory. See, I spend so much time now just digging into the data. I forget to actually buy the cards. So that that's my current problem. But uh, I'm a kid in a candy land with the data that's that's popping up so far. Wow. So let's let's fire this off then. Let me know uh, if you have questions. I developed a process to do that for satellite collision soon. Oh, we we have some really smart people in the room. I've I've noticed yeah. that. I want to welcome you all to Bandwidth. I want to thank you for taking time to spend with us this evening. We're here at the Band Arbitrage Network. We take data and experience to help people make wise decisions in the collectible marketplace. So we want to thank you for tuning in and joining us. This is one of those things that, that we're really kind of enjoying right now. You'll hear in a little bit from Malcolm. We've already recorded that tonight, but... Right at the beginning, I am excited to be back. Uh, Wolf, are you excited? I am. It's been a while. Nice to to get back into a rhythm of things and talk about nerdy stuff. It is. It is. Uh, we both had major disruptions to our to our year this summer, and uh, it took us longer than we thought to get back together. But you know what? I am glad that we're here. Me too. So we had talked about uh, a number of different things already tonight, but. What has been the most interesting thing for you in the collectible marketplace right now? Oh, the general collapse of collectibles outside of MTG, seeing the, well, I wouldn't say the complete, but seeing basically uh, Pokemon start to come back to reality, seeing Flesh and Blood's feet fall out from underneath it, watching Yu-Gi-Oh! try and get its feet under it with fairly little success, but they might be moving in the right direction healthily. I don't know. It's up for debate, but there's so much movement. So for me, it's really just been uh, doing a little bit more, doing a little bit less of the uh, entertainment side of things lately and going back to more of the analytical side of things, which I personally greatly appreciate. But uh, how about yourself, Ken? I am working my way through cards that I discovered in the move. Uh, <laughs> I am up to 4,000 bulk rares that I found in the move. And I have no idea where they came from. Just, I, I started opening up boxes and trying to see what's there. And all of a sudden, there's 4,000 bulk rares sitting in front of me. And I'm, I have no idea where they came from. Yourself or send them off to a truck stop? I don't know. I don't, I don't think truck is buying right now. Mainly because he's he's got a lot of busy stuff going on at home. But I think I may may try to hire some teenagers to to fire through this. And, you know, organize things and let me look at it and go from there. Very cost-effective until they unionize. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But they're both unemployed teenagers, so <laughs> you know, they like to make 10%. Oh, we're teaching them rakes. All right. That's good. Yep. So, that sounds good. Yeah. I Hopefully had, you'll uh, get those sorted. Yeah. It was great. So we'll we'll get it worked through and we'll we'll get back on, you know, getting that stuff up and listed. And then I've got a whole bunch of uh, sealed stuff I've been contemplating cracking. and. 
Mm-hmm. I haven't decided if I'm going to list all my uh, all my secret layers from before or not, or if it's just going to sit in the bank. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's those decisions and that thought process and trying to figure it out that you know I really want to you know have something positive happen. Yeah, it's always nice when you discover things you didn't know you had that have monetary value. Yeah, <laughs> it's so nice. So let's talk. We've we've have a a pretty unique situation right now. Uh, we are in the middle of Christmas season and, or I should say the holiday season and the, the entire collectible card market game right now is kind of shifting. It happens every year. I don't know how interesting it'll shift this year, but my October sales were 50% of what they were in September. And then my November sales were almost next to nothing until we got the Black Friday sale. And then I sold $500 worth of cards and in a weekend. Wow. And I'm not I'm not the yeah. biggest, you know, buyer and seller, but you know, five hundred dollars is five hundred bucks. So what what have you seen in the in the market right now? What what is your plan until we get back to uh maybe tax return time? Well, so TCG players saw two weeks worth of sales in a single day on Black Friday. So I think they definitely started announcing the promotion that they were gonna do a little too far ahead. Um, yeah. because I do think people really kinda went or sandbagged what they were going to buy and it, it i'm sure their promotional analysis will will reveal this when they see their their general sales definitely went down i experienced that as well something else that uh i think is rather fascinating is that card kingdom is starting to show cracks in their armor uh at first i thought it was my forecasting that was going haywire but they they've gone from removing all foils from their buy list for a couple of days to slashing all of their offers it's very clearly uh Somebody at the top who is a human is is making these decisions for two, three day periods, for periods of time where I thought it was a mistake on my end for a while until it started to uh, be very clearly not. So it's it's kind of fascinating to, to see just cracks from somebody that I would kind of uh, historically say uh, was very well situated. But, uh, you know, outside of that, I think with the return of in-person events, I look forward to the general populace mis- misattributing sources of information once again to the value of the cards and, and getting back into the same old rhythm that I was doing two years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was two years ago that really turned around my business. So I, you know, just learning from the Band Arbitrage Network two years ago was a great thing for me. So I'm ready to get back to it too. Yeah. With the return of in-person events, it's going to be really fascinating to see just how everything shakes out here. Yeah. I'm running a 1K on Saturday and pretty excited to see that it's going to be modern that's one of the things that i've really uh really appreciated about you know the stability of events is everybody wants to play modern because it's generally a non-rotating format uh, people get their pet deck and then they ride it till it till it dies and so people spend very little money buying into their deck again and again and again so yeah, if TOA ever uh, opens up his store again, he's only 15 minutes south of me, so I might actually head there oh. just to show face at one point. But uh, he's got to open his front doors first. Yeah, I was joking with him uh, not too long ago, and uh, he was telling me, well, you, you haven't run an event as big as our Friday Night Magic. And I went, what? And he said, <laughs> yeah, we've had 120 people at a Friday Night Magic. And I just scratched my head. Yeah, I mean, you got one good location where you know the event's going to fire, you want to go there. and then. Uh, Yep. Having met a couple of the store owners around me, you definitely seek people uh, with a little bit more integrity. So it makes a ton of sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So uh, just kind of thinking about things in general now uh, going forward. Um, we've seen some improvements to uh, the newspaper over this past month. We've seen some improvements to the website. Coda is absolutely fantastic getting after things. Uh, the development team here at the Band Arbitrage Network is helping out in huge ways. Really appreciate that. And then we're seeing arbitrage return again. Just being able to see, you know, the EU to US arbitrage that's starting to happen pretty pretty steadily now is a huge thing for us. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I think uh, Coda's actually got four or five. Uh, spoilers here uh not too much but more of a, a tease uh, i think he's got four or five tools he's he's already actually got created and, and ready to go we just want to figure out how to properly implement them uh he's been uh he's been asking you know it's good when your dev team your dev guy is basically saying i've got the tools made when can we talk to implement them so that's definitely something for folks to look forward to and then uh as soon as i can figure out how to use javascript which is going to be a while. Hopefully we'll be able to get uh, a download page on the newspaper so folks can basically download all of the information right off the newspaper and manipulate it however they want. I've actually gotten a few requests for that, which I was actually quite happy to see. So uh, as soon as I can figure that out, we'll get that going. But yeah, we've got, we got a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of stuff being requested and a lot of stuff, I think, ready to go. So it's uh, going to be an interesting next uh, six months or so here. Yeah. So talk to me about the market. What are we... What are we seeing a shift right now? I mean, I think the biggest thing is you're just seeing a shift back from EDH. People are actually playing a format of, of Magic that's not EDH. And first and foremost, you're seeing a lot of people, you know, go back to modern. So a lot of modern stuff's being bought out of the market, but even some standard stuff and, and just some uh, regular items uh, in particular, too. I only know this because of... Uh, I've been helping out Hidden Agenda. I, I looked at the manual stuff he was doing for his spreadsheets a couple of weeks ago, and I, I had to volunteer to automate a lot of that, hopefully. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, he does a great job of communicating it. But when he told me how much time he was putting into updating that document, I was like, you're, you're a goddamn hero. Uh, <laughs> we need yeah. to help you out. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll get that going. But the secret lair sales have been uh, really a particular interest to me uh just because again helping out hidden lair or secret agenda with his i can't say his name hidden agenda with his secret lair stuff so uh, i've had a specific eye towards that and uh reviewing that oh the other thing too is that um sealed product will now be uh will eventually get its own page on the newspaper as well yeah. through that in there about time for that one but lots of things it never ends nope. there's always something new popping up too in the market uh, a new area or a new avenue that we want to be able to maximize profits on. And so having uh, just a wide variety of people that have different approaches to the market is always a really good thing. We've got, you know, just a wide variety of people here in the Band Arbitrage Network that have the skills to to have multiple venues of, of buying and selling. One of the things that I've I've not appreciated was we, we have some individuals who absolutely love arbitrage and... Uh, <laughs> You know, you, you get to the high enough level and the arbitrage is, is pretty sweet. And uh, they know how to get through the arbitrage deals really quick. And I don't, but that's okay. Yeah, as soon as, uh, as soon as you can get Bacon to explain how he's able to so consistently find these deals for $1.30 to flip at 15 in another country, please tell me. I'm still trying to learn yeah. as a I wizard. Just, I just imagine him, you know, sitting at home. You know, the kids have gone to bed. He's sitting there with his feet up next to a fire with his laptop, you know, in front of him and a dog in, you know, on his on his arm. And he's just scrolling through and 
next thing you know, he finds something, and then he's he's bought seventy copies. Now yeah. it's now it's in his hand. Undoubtedly, while there's a skillet of bacon being cooked in the background to perfect temperature. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my! Goodness. I'm imagining bacon as Nick Offerman now. That makes me happy inside. <laughs> I love it. So where do we go from here, Wolf? What what should we talk about? You know, we, we had TP on for 45 minutes. What would you like to talk about? Honestly, I think uh, I think we we tend to fail to keep things to within an hour. I think this was actually a fairly good uh, breakthrough of uh, talking about the the event of Vegas from somebody who, who was actually boots on the ground. You know, I think it's a pretty good rundown. I mean, I could talk about individual card specs, but I'll put everybody to sleep. So I think... Uh, uh, I don't know if you're interested in that. Check out the CSVs I've dropped in market activity, and I think you'll be oh uh, more than happy <laughs> with what you can find. Those CSVs um, have so much information on them. They are highly filtered. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm good on my end, Ken, unless there's anything yeah. in specific you'd like to touch on. No, I'm good. I appreciate your time. You know, it's always good to talk with you, Wolf. I want to thank everybody for joining us on the Ban Arbitrage Network, where our resources are real people with data and experience backing them. We have people that know what they're doing, and we're excited to share that with others in the Ban Arbitrage Network. So thank you for joining us this evening, and I hope that you have a good rest of your night. Cheers, guys.